it's really important for us to encompass what success looks like, whether it's pre-sales or post-sales. Welcome to Pre-Sales Heroes by Vivin. I'm your host and pre-sales evangelist, Perry Bronson. Today, we'll be diving into the overlapping worlds of pre- and post-sales. I'm joined by the fantastic Tia Wooker, who is a Director of Customer Engineering at Sourcegraph. I was lucky enough to work with Tia during my time at Optimizely, and I can say from experience that she has a unique ability to bring value, joy, and a deep technical expertise to everything that she does. Tia, how are you doing today? I am doing well. Uh, I I thank you for those kind words. Definitely was not anticipating blushing on a podcast, (laughs) but I so appreciate it. And uh, it is absolutely a pleasure to to be even chatting with you. Good to see, you know, and talk to familiar people. So I really appreciate that. Absolutely. Got to connect in these, these strange times that we're in. So we'd like to kick these off by talking about what we call your hero origin story. So in your case, Tia, that's really what led you into customer engineering. Yeah, it's a, an interesting past that I have. So I, I sang opera for many years and What I really loved about singing opera was you were kind of your own marketing engine. Um, You were the your advocate. You were your obviously one of your your worst enemies because you're you're a critic of your own in a in a level that is just far exceeds normal critics. But what I really loved about it was I was developing relationships and I was developing connections that really stood the test of time. And I think what really propelled me after, you know, leaving the opera world a little bit was really joining in the marketing um, space and really contributing in a way that was more around the brand management, but also fostering these amazing relationships with brands um, and really understanding what's most important to them. And I would say coming out of marketing what I really wanted to take away from that experience was more so how can I use the relationship building skills that I have to really foster, I guess, in a, in a nutshell, success. And that success really is not just one flavor. Um, it comes from all different avenues, including the technical side of things. And I, I have dabbled in startup companies as well as more of the corporate, standard corporate companies. When I was working for startup companies, I was able to wear so many different hats and be able to flex different muscles and learn different things from just immersing myself in, in all of those um, scenarios and, and conversations. And for me, what kind of led me to the, the engineering side of things is that I'm a people manager. And I know that I don't necessarily need to have the most technical chops to be able to people manage um, or manage people. And I think what I really enjoy about the engineering or the customer engineering side of things is that oftentimes when we are you know, speaking with and working with the more technical um, folks on our teams, they have a hard time kind of switching their mind to that that more success oriented side. And so it's helping to bridge that gap and use a lot of the experiences that I've had to help pave that way and make it a little easier for them to kind of switch from the pre and the post sales world. And that's what really drove me to customer engineering. It's also what really drove me to back to kind of the startup world at Sourcegraph. 
um, was because I knew I could make a really big impact, not just on the pre-sales, but also on the post-sales. Amazing. So many things. Um, first of all, I didn't, I must have known that you were an opera singer at some point, but I don't think I'd made the connection until just now on how, how that actually could be relevant. And it makes sense because, well, certainly on both pre and post-sales, but especially on the pre-sales side, that element of performance and being able to take critical feedback and um, also, you know, reading the room and giving the people what they want. I think that is so amazing. And I think the next time you come back, we're going to have to have a song because (laughs) I would love to hear you sing someday. I would love it. And the entrepreneurial spirit that you captured uh, in working at startups, I think that is so critical to certainly pre-sales, post-sales as well, where you have this willingness to wear different hats, fill the gaps, figure things out. And actually, that's something we're trying to change a little bit at Vivin, where you don't have to figure it all out yourself. There really should be a solution out there for technical folks who are working with customers. And that's something that we're definitely trying to to help improve. Yeah. So, oh, the other thing, I wanted to make sure that uh, all of our listeners out there know a little bit more about what is customer engineering. I know in pre-sales, at least, there's a million different titles. There's solution architect, solutions consultant, value engineers, customer engineering. I'm a little bit uh, newer to this title, and I'd love to hear how it works at Sourcegraph. Thanks for asking that question. I'm actually getting that a lot, um, you know, just from s- some networking opportunities on LinkedIn and One of the things that I I think about is titles are important, but titles are also what is in service of of the customer relationship that you have. And at Sourcegraph, uh, our our target audience um, and our buyers are generally engineers and developers. So they definitely connect not just to the title itself, but there's credibility to understanding that we are um, a technical team that are that is here to not just help with the implementation and scoping of the requirements and, and things of that nature, but we're also here to make you as successful as you possibly can when you are using um, SourceGraph products um, and, and features and functionality. And I think for me, what it embodies is that that role that let's say if we were to slice and dice it, it would be an SE type person who understands how to navigate that sales um, motion, that sales conversation can pull out value drivers and how, you know, those value drivers really tie back to the product features um, in SourceGraph. But also there isn't this hiccup or of a, a strange handoff when you're talking about moving into the post sales. It's really this continuous relationship from start till, you know, we never say the end, but I think what what comes with that is a tremendous ability to build credibility and a relationship with the customers from a technical sense, but also from a personal sense. It gives the customer engineer the ability to get to know what you know one of their advocates or champions uh, is most important to them um, in their career, and how we may be able to help you know get them that next promotion, or sometimes I say it this way, get their name in lights. Everybody wants to see their name in a marquee. So it's really important for us to encompass what success looks like, whether it's pre-sales or post-sales. I love it. It sounds like an SE or someone that looks and smells like an SE yeah. and they own the entire customer journey. And I think that's really powerful. 
Yeah. And I, I, I akin it to kind of like finding a unicorn, right? So sometimes you have to find that really great expertise from an SE standpoint, but then kind of moving into more of that account management or technical account management side, side of the, the arm or the muscle. I have a counterpart that I work with and, and we definitely are thinking, okay, how do we find these unicorns? What type of profile should we be looking for? How do we diversify the team to make sure that we have the technical expertise, but also that really true account management, sales acumen, um, but also success side of things. All of it's really, really important, given that our, our audience and, and our persona is really around the engineer. It's really important that we make sure that we have that, that constant contact with them and we're establishing that trusted advisor relationship. It makes a lot of sense. To hire for this, this unique mythical creature that can really nail it on both sides of the house throughout the customer relationship. What are some of your own experiences on the pre-sales side that you draw from to shape the roles um, and also identify the folks out there that are going to uh, do well and succeed in this? Yeah. Um, one of the things that I like to do, it's just a handy little tool and it kind of gets us all aligned on on what we're doing and how we're hiring is a hiring plan, um, making sure that we are publicly stating how we are hiring, um, but more so what some of those interactions might be. Not only are we looking to to really align on the values and the, the vision for our team, but we also need to make sure that they can flex the various muscles that they have. So one of the things we have is a technical prompt. We're going to have them walk through what a, a, an installation might look like or um, even a, a, a technical search on Sourcegraph. Um, and I say technical search very lightly um, because it could just be, you know, looking for a new auth provider or something like that. Just very high level. But we want them to actually interact with other customer engineers um, so that they can get that right feed or that feedback right away and ask questions. Because in the end, an interview isn't just us as the company interviewing them. They're very much interviewing us. So we want to give that kind of that two-way street. One of the other things that we do is um, a discovery prompt. So obviously, we're doing the technical evaluation, but it's also really important to ensure that uh, we have an understanding of how they can discover some of the value propositions or the value drivers that are most important to the customers. Uh, you know, most of our customer engineers are diving into demos, and this is a great time to be asking some of those really important questions to, to connect on not just what is most important to them, but also asking the question, what keeps you up at night? Mm -hmm. Is it your, your developers and engineers are not as efficient as they possibly could be? Um, it takes, you know, 30 days versus 10 days to onboard a new developer. All of these things are goals for our customers. And we just need that, as you said, mythical creature to be able to surface a lot of those, those uh, opportunities. Um, we also like to give them the, the chance to meet with more people across the org. So an AE, an account executive, uh, a customer engineer, the hiring manager will pull in probably a couple executives to, to really give them the vision for what this looks like and how they can contribute and make that impact. 
I hope that kind of gives you an understanding of we're kind of looking across the board for uh, obviously a unicorn, but it really encompasses all the the touch points that a customer engineer um, would have as well. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like you have your work cut out for you, but I'm sure you will find yeah. those, those perfect folks. I know you're building up your team and also you're a, a great coach. Um, so, and interviewing is really about storytelling, right? In some, some ways. I, that's how I look at it. If you can tell a good story, yeah, probably interview. What were some stories that you told when, you know, you're kind of newer to Sourcegraph, right? On the pre-sales and the post-sales side, what were some of your favorite stories? I love being able to tell stories about the relationships I have with customers. Um, and those can be, uh, you know, I have a really great, re- great relationship with a, a lead engineer at Best Buy. And you wouldn't think that we would have this amazing connection because I'm not as technical as, you know, a, a typical engineer. However, we literally connect on so many different avenues. And it, in the end, he just loves how I listen to him. And I give him, you know, some really great things to be thinking about that kind of push him outside of the the normal engineering mind. I also talk about how working with um, executives is not as an, as intimidating as it as it generally looks to be. Um, they're just like you and me, and at some point they were here in a, in their career, and so I always love just to be able to connect with them. For me, on a personal note. Um, but it's also really great to share a lot of those stories on how I was able to build those relationships by just being me. I am never a fake it till you make it kind of person. <laughs> I always genu- I want to be as genuine as I possibly can be. And I think that's really important. Um, it sets the relationship out on the right foot. And I think it's, um, it's vital to maintaining that relationship um, because I'm, I'm making sure that they have value, but I, I also make sure that, that they give us value too. I mean, it, it is very much a two-way street. So I always like talking about that. I also like to talk about, I call them failures because it's what they are and I learn from failures. I like to talk about when I've you know fallen flat on my face and how I was able to kind of pick myself up. And I, I'm not one to have dependencies on other people, but there are times where I just had to ask for help and be in a vulnerable place and be okay to say, I, I don't know where to go from here. Um, so I always like talking about that. And it generally sparks a lot of conversations, which I think is really good because we all can relate to a time when we have failed and had to pick ourselves up and dust our knees off. So I just like being me. And I like being very, I guess, raw, real is another way I'd say it. Yes, I, I think you are very authentic. And I think you're playing down your technical abilities. I understand coming from an opera singing background, you know, it's not really the same as like a computer science background. However, I have been in meetings with you where you you push people to the envelope, uh, certainly myself in product marketing uh, when we worked together and, you know, challenging, oh, well, that's not 
the right way to position what we do because this is how it actually works. So I feel that you've spent enough time working directly with engineers and, you know, you can bootstrap yourself in a lot of ways. Like I think a lot of people who who can take the leadership role, they don't necessarily need to be able to do every technical task that the team is doing. You need to do enough to have empathy and to identify what are the skill sets you need. But even amongst the team, not every single person needs to have the same exact skill set, right? I think you're kind of hitting on something that even over the past, I mean, I'm completing my fourth week at Sourcecraft this week. And um, I think what I've been kind of, thank you, what I've been kind of taking away from this experience, which, you know, I was at Optimizely for almost four years, and I haven't had to start something new, especially, you know, as I get older in age, it's important to think that, I need to connect with the people first and simultaneously or in a parallel path also learn what is, uh, you know, what is it that they're doing? Doesn't have to go into the granular detail, but I need to be respectful and understand that this person who I'm, I value on my team tremendously is spending so much time doing X, Y, Z that they don't have bandwidth to handle whatever it is that I'm asking them to do. So understanding what XYZ means to them means that I need to learn some of that. Again, it's a challenge for me. I love learning. I love being able to confidently, I guess, handle myself in uh, some of those technical conversations or at minimum, be able to follow those conversations. I appreciate your your reassurance that that I am more technical than I give myself uh, credit for. But I also think it it comes with the the job and the territory too. It's a respectful way of working with others is making sure that I know exactly not just what you're doing and how we're doing it, but also also being able to contribute in a very confident way. Absolutely. And I think technical, being technical is very relative to the product. So when you're in a position where you're a customer engineering lead or director for, you know, and your customers engineers, it's very meta. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's a little bit of a different <laughs> standard for sure. But um, I liked what you were saying earlier about understanding how, how much effort it's going to take your team to accomplish certain tasks or work. And that can vary across team members, depending on their skills. And just some people work differently than others. How are you going to be measuring that? Are you, will you be doing activity tracking and how will that rank differently, whether they're working on the pre versus post-sale side? So I'm going to be very honest. I don't know yet. Um, We're still kind of evaluating all of the, the various ways that we're going to have to ingest some of that data but I'm also hoping that um, by using you know, our platform and the way that we're engaging with our customers that we can track some of that just through the product as well. Um, that being said, um, my success background definitely leans to tracking some of that engagement and having visibility to it. Um, but I also am thinking and leaning to, towards kind of more of like a scoring of those engagements. So as you would do like a lead score on the, the, the top of the funnel, um, I would want to somehow not necessarily just value it or score it, 
but understand the the level of effort for every type of engagement that that we are are in, you know working with our customers on, so that we can evaluate uh, an overall capacity model um, or capacity plan for you know future headcount and really where where we're spending our most time and in the end doing a, a bit of an ROI analysis on is that what's really driving value for our customers. Um, for our team and thus, you know, contributing to our business KPIs. Um, I think it's really important to think about things that way. It's not something I've done before. Um, so this is a bit of uncharted territory as far as like even scoring engagement. Um, but even starting, uh, you and I are both, you know, coming from that experimentation world. I'm going to try a few things, um, even t-shirt size or or something along those lines where yeah. we can really evaluate um, how much heavy lifting is there. Because right now, if you think about pre and post sales, living under one, um, one owner from a customer engineering, that's a lot of engagement. That's a lot of things that we are doing with our customers. And we just need to have an understanding of how cumbersome some of those engagements really are. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I know a lot of people do this manually, calendar stocking, that kind of thing. Actually, at Vivin, this is exactly what we're doing. Well, one of the pieces is activity tracking. So we integrate with calendar, but then we also integrate with Salesforce, Jira. So this world becomes very tied to opportunities and in-flight revenue while also giving managers the visibility into how much time is my team spending? How much revenue is that impacting? Um, But it's, it's interesting to think about how that can actually differ. The weights could be different on the post-sale side versus the pre-sale side. I like the scoring approach you mentioned. Yeah, and I mean, I'm hoping that it's going to work for us. Um, what we're seeing right now is a lot of involvement in that pre-sales side of things. And, and it's part and parcel because we need to define a bit more of that post-sales experience, um, which is why I'm really excited um, to, to be able to contribute to that at Sourcegraph. But I, I think it's also really important to understand as Sourcegraph grows and and we add more team members to the to the CE as well as AE teams, is you know we're putting a lot of effort into the pre-sale side um, and we need to be doing a bit more of that cost analysis. Are we putting too much work into it and not leading to really in the end is that what the customer needs to make that conversion from prospect to customer? We want to make sure that we know exactly what it is, what that success criteria is, um, to really make sure that we can limit the scope of maybe what a POC looks like, um, or at least have some guardrails around what's included in a POC versus not. Um, I think it's really important to do a bit of cost analysis around that and uh, truly an ROI analysis as well. You know, are we getting the return on that investment based on, you know, what that that customer is paying. Yeah, absolutely. And and also what's the impact down the road? You know, maybe maybe it looks like, oh, we're spending a lot of time on some of these pre-sales activities and it would be great if we could shorten that. But if there was a correlation between depth of uh, evaluation and long-term success and growth of the customer, I mean, it's it's great that you're going to have that full picture of of data really. Yeah. And I think it's going to be very important that we use this time to kind of establish some of those baseline metrics 
and what is needed to really inform the longer term vision of Sourcegraph. It's also what has me super bullish, not only on the company, but also the impact that we can have on on our customers, but also um, you know, our, our mission at Sourcegraph is to make sure that everyone can code and we're giving code, you know, to everyone. So it's really enabling not just our customers, but everyone to be able to code. And I, I shared this story uh, a while back with someone. Um, I've always had this weird desire to, to be able to code. Um, and I say that very loosely because I'm not sure what kind of flavor of an engineer I would want to be. But one of the biggest barriers is how do I even get started? Do I take a boot camp? Do I join a, a community that of self-service you know, learners or how do I do this? Well, day one at Sourcegraph, I was coding and it felt so amazing to be able to do that. Um, I have not really touched code for quite a while because in management, sometimes you don't get your hands as dirty as you used to. Um, and I think it, it was really amazing to feel that again. Um, I felt very connected to what I was doing and, and what my team was doing. So for me, it's, it's being able to not just give that to our customers who are already coding and, and doing amazing things, but even to, you know, another Tia Wooker out there that doesn't know how to code, but has always wanted to. And, and now we're enabling them to be able to do that. Wow, that's a pretty impressive total addressable market. It's basically every human on earth. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you think about it, we're all contributing to technology and the evolution of technology. And I think it's amazing to be able to say that we can contribute to it, even in a small, small way. Um, if you have code at your fingertips and you're able to do it through a source graph or, you know, any other avenue, I think that's very empowering. Um, and it feels it feels uh, it feels really good to be able to say that I'm contributing to our, our technological innovation. Yeah. From opera singer to customer engineering leader and a coder. This is amazing. I love it. I know. I know. I'm going <laughs> to. My resume just got way more impressive. I can tell you that. <laughs> That's such a diverse set of skills. It's incredible. So I think, yeah. you know, what would be really helpful here is let's hear from you if you have any advice for leaders or individual contributors for that matter who are working on both sides of the house, pre-sales and post-sales. What words of advice would you give to them? And um, yeah, any suggestions? Yeah, my biggest suggestion, um, which is always top of mind for me when you are working with customers, is always keep the customer at the center of everything you're doing. If you lose focus or you even waver from what really the customer needs to be successful, that means you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for other reasons. And and that def definitely leads to a bifurcation in priorities in being able to deliver on on the customer needs and and really contributing to the business KPIs. So for me, it's always being customer centric, asking the right questions on what that means to be customer centric of your leaders um, is also really great because they should have concrete examples of what that actually means to them. And I would also encourage you to write down um, ways in which in your past or even in your future state, 
you envision being able to contribute to customer centricity? Um, some of those can be personal experiences. I'm a shopper of target.com. I am a customer. So what does that mean? How do I need to work with those brands better to make sure that they can be customer centric? That's feedback, that's reviews, that's app reviews, that's so many different ways that I can contribute to a company working with me in a very customer centric way. So it's definitely a an opportunity as a consumer, but also as for me being on the vendor side of things, it's making sure that we're using those data points, listening to what the customers are saying they need, um, but always asking, you know, how are we doing? How's everything going? How can we change? Um, what do we need to do? Um, product feedback is another great way to get some of that data. We obviously want to grow and scale with our customers. Um, and that means that we need to be listening um, at all times um, and collecting all of that data and then actioning it. That's really important, too. It's, uh, I think I've, I've worked for a couple of companies that have always taken feedback, but we never did anything with it. And it's important for customers to feel heard. But also there's a, a sense of pride when a customer can say, I contributed to the growth of Sourcegraph or the growth of their product roadmap. That's a that's a really great moment for a customer to be able to say that too. Yeah, absolutely. Close close that feedback loop. Even if you're not going to deliver the feature, explain why. You know, it's and I having the data to back that up is really, you know, coming from optimized A-B testing and experimentation. You know, we're clearly believers in that, but a lot of companies I don't think have a great way of aggregating, analyzing large sums of feedback from the field, whether that's coming from customers, buyers, and there's so many avenues to give the feedback. Being in these customer-facing roles, you really become a steward of the feedback. And it's, it's easier in B2B, of course, we get a little more streamlined flow of information, but it's still really hard. Yeah. There's still a lot of data points out there. I think it's it's probably one of the harder job requirements Um of whether it's pre-sales or post-sales of owning kind of that voice of the customer. Um, you know, not only are you the advocate, but sometimes you have to be that, that mouthpiece internally um, for the customer um, and make sure that you're, you're advising your team on how important this is. Is this a blocking issue? Um, do we need this to be able to grow and scale with them? It's very difficult to do because you basically are not only advocating for a customer that's paying, but you're also going up internally and having to advocate for what is most important to our customers, which I will say sometimes is not received as well um, because you're kind of playing against some of the business decisions as well. And, and sometimes I would say there are some leaders in companies that often are like, well, that's not the best idea. We shouldn't be listening to, you know, doing and, and listening to what our customers are saying. We need to do what's best for our business. Again, that's where I come back to customer centricity. Doesn't mean you have to do everything that our customers are saying, but we need to be able to circle back to them and say why we're not doing it and why, uh, why it's important that we, we listened and we took that feedback and we did consider it. It is definitely a, a hard role um, or a hard attribute to, to really uh, you know, hone in on when you're, when you're working as the, the voice of the customer. 
And I think on the pre-sale side, it can be even harder sometimes because they're not paying customers yet. And so no. you're, you end up being the voice of the market, which is even more nebulous. Yeah. And I think it's, it's part of the, I, I say this word, but I don't really know if this is exactly what I mean. There's a bit of fragility in that pre-sales conversation. It could either make or break the, the next step that you take with a customer. Um, we, we did some feedback earlier, uh, two weeks ago, um, for what we thought was a blocking issue for a, a majority of our customers only to find out that it was actually on the prospect side that a lot of prospects were saying, well, this might be an issue for us. So how do we evaluate that internally, knowing that a prospect needs this? It's stopping revenue from coming into the company. So how do we evaluate that? Is that something we can sell to you know, customers that are currently with us, even though it wasn't a blocking issue? How do we market that? Because it's, it's not just making sure that we have that and getting that revenue in the door. It's also how do we how do we make this uh, applicable to all of our customers um, and future prospects? So right. it definitely is a little bit of a, a dance uh, on the pre-sale side for sure. One, one way we think about it at Vivin is kind of back to what you were saying about the activity scoring, except we're we're adding weights to the product feedback piece. So we, what we call pro, uh, opportunity gaps, uh, product gaps, depending on what level you're at, you can score it. Is this a deal breaker? Is this a nice to have? And then on our setting side, as a business, you can put in custom logic that's saying we want to rank customer feedback at a different size than prospect yeah. feedback. And then, of course, if it's a deal breaker or is it is it a renewal versus an upsell, right? So right. All, having all those things systematically kind of be generating your reporting, I think, makes things easier. It's still still not easy. Never easy. (laughs) But that's why we're here, right? That's why we're here to evolve and iterate. And I think that's the the important piece of it is if you you do nothing about it, you won't be successful. And if you do something about it, even if it's a small thing, uh, it can lead to really amazing, you know, results. So I look at it that way, and I, I feel like it's an exciting time for us to be in this space, um, especially given the pandemic. It's definitely changed a lot of the focus um, to more digital assets and digital experiences. It's definitely ramped uh, a lot of innovation up, and I think it's a great time to to be a part of that for sure. Well, I am so excited for you, Tia. Forging this customer engineering journey <laughs> and SourceGraph sounds great. I think so many pre-sales folks out there, post-sales out there, anybody could benefit from getting more access to, to the ability to code without dumping in all of our nights and weekends. Well, I'll be hiring too. So there's a shout out uh, <laughs> over the next couple of, of months, I'll be hiring. So if you want to learn to code, let me know. I will let, I will let my network know. It's, it sounds great. For sure. I really appreciate it. It's, uh, it's, a, it's an absolute blessing to be at SourceGraph. And it's even more incredible that uh, a company, you know, needs someone like me to really help drive some of that going forward momentum and vision. So it's, it's an honor for sure. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for stopping by, Tia. It's been enlightening as always. Well, Perry, thank you for asking me and allowing me to blab on about something I'm so passionate about. Catch you on the flip side.